Have you ever wondered who is doing the research that impacts your future? The Research Made Possible podcast lets you meet those people and learn how research at the University of Kentucky is changing what's possible in Kentucky and beyond. Here's Alicia Gregory, Director of Research Communications. The United States is making historic investments in research and development for advanced manufacturing. The Chips and Science Act of 2022 appropriated funding for R&D related to computer chips, aka semiconductors. It also authorized record investment in 10 key technology areas, artificial intelligence, high-performance computing, quantum technology, advanced manufacturing, disaster prevention, advanced communications, cybersecurity, biotech, advanced energy efficiency, and material science. To learn more, I sat down with Eric King, Lisa Cassis, Ian McClure, and John Balk. Eric King is the Assistant Vice President for Research for Federal Relations and Institutional Research Priorities. He gave me an overview of the Chips and Science Act and offered his perspective on its impact for research-intensive, so-called R1 universities like UK. The Chips and Science Act passed Congress in August of 2022 um, it's a bipartisan piece of legislation with a general focus on strengthening and advancing the United States leadership and research and, and development. Uh, most of the focus, uh, most of the attention across the nation has been the funding directed towards the semiconductor industry. Over $54 billion um, was funded in direct appropriation um, to several agencies uh, to execute tax credits, but also build plants uh, for the semiconductor industry. However, there is a science portion onto the Chips and Science Act. And that's where the balance of our time was focused. Whereas the chips, the semiconductor programs were appropriated, uh, the scientific portion of the bill was authorized, meaning there are no true dollars going towards those programs. It's Congress's way of authorizing an agency to stand up a program or to house a program, but have no direct spending to execute uh, the actual components of the program. Um, so a, a drastic uh, difference in terms of the funding levels. It's important to note that it focused primarily on advancing the funding levels for the National Science Foundation, for the Department of Energy, for NIST, uh, other science and technology agencies, so it authorized very ambitious funding targets for those agencies. Um, it also focused on building ecosystems across the country. So trying to shape what characteristics or what ingredients um, are most successful at, a, at building ecosystems. Um, and ecosystems might seem like a trite thing to say, but um, as opposed to thinking about a technology um, and understanding the ingredients behind that technology, um, this bill purports uh, to look at the ecosystems that built the technology. Um, and then it focuses on not historically uh, areas of the country where we're used to seeing uh, a large amount or significant increase of technology development. We think about Silicon Valley. We think about Research Triangle. Uh, this bill really looks at some of the flyover country um, where there isn't much capacity, but certainly potential of ideas and innovation that could be explored and developed given the right ecosystems. So it's shaping what ecosystem uh, could be produced where there's trust. Uh, and those ecosystems are highly complex um, with intellectual property um, and other interests that sometimes aren't always aligned. But what interests could be aligned in those ecosystems 
um, that could catalyze innovation and offer technology in certain key industries. This ecosystem economic development concept isn't new. It was the foundation of a program that began in 1978, the established program to stimulate competitive research known as EPSCOR. The top five states, California, Massachusetts, New York, Texas, and Maryland, garner nearly 40% of the total, whereas the bottom five, Vermont, West Virginia, North and South Dakota, and Wyoming, together receive less than 1% of the overall NSF budget. So Congress then created the EPSCOR program because of the undue concentration that they were seeing around the country um, for research and development in these states. And still today, there are five states that control 40% of the NSF budget. Vice President for Research Lisa Cassis describes the competitive R&D landscape and the role of EPSCOR. EPSCOR is vitally important for, for states like Kentucky. Um, let's face it, it's hard to compete in the world of uh, R&D and federal funding. The reality is we're competing against uh, very large institutions with significant other sources of support and deep foundation strengths. And so Kentucky, um, what this does is in a, in a way uh, not level the playing field, but in, in some ways make it so that places like Kentucky and other states that may not have, uh, the, like what we would find in large urban settings and a lot of industry around them, uh, make them competitive and for certain pools of funds. One of the most important things about EPSCOR is it's building the infrastructure. It's building the infrastructure not just in the university, but across the region. And it's also heavily engaged in recruiting, training, and retaining talent in the science that's taking place. Ian McClure is the Associate Vice President for Research, Innovation, and Economic Impact. He leads UK Innovate and UK's new NSF Engines Development Award named Game Change. So the EPSCOR program is really important uh, to Kentucky um, and to the other 26 EPSCOR states across the country uh, to ensure that there's equitable funding uh, for research and development in really key areas. Um, and so Kentucky is an EPSCOR state that is surrounded by non-EPSCOR states. Um, uh, the only EPSCOR state that touches our border is West Virginia, uh, and we take that role seriously. Uh, for us, we think it's really important that um, uh, if we're thinking about truly democratizing the innovation landscape uh, and we're equitably distributing federal resources for R&D, that our status as an EPSCOR state is something that is recognized uh, and utilized to take advantage of our assets here. We have incredible research strengths here at University of Kentucky. Um, as the, the flagship land-grant institution of the state, um, we have a role to play here as an EPSCOR state um, in the national geography uh, around R&D. Um, and so it's going to be a really um, uh, important element to our Tech Hub's approach um, and to ensuring that there's equitable distribution, uh, not just to EPSCOR states generally, but also to Kentucky as a leading EPSCOR state. But for states like Kentucky, where we don't see a lot of NSF funding, uh, we were very excited to see that Congress did set aside a certain percentage of the overall research-related activities for the NSF. Uh, that 20% in 2027 would be directed towards EPSCOR states. 
Kentucky is an EPSCOR state. And so we're grateful for Congress and our members of Congress that support EPSCOR, historically have supported it through the appropriation process, but certainly as NSF is creating new directorates and they're focusing on innovation, which stimulates jobs and economic development, that the University of Kentucky plays a instrumental role uh, in that mission. And certainly EPSCOR program funding does that. If we look at the NSF's budget compared to other agencies like the National Institutes of Health, which has been you know, ramping up, the NSF's budget has remained relatively flat across the entire U.S. And that really has uh, curtailed our advancement in science and STEM areas. Uh, so with this uh, bill, the NSF's investment uh, would include uh, around $20 billion for what's called the NSF's TIPS Directorate. This is a new program that the NSF has already launched. Uh, it is meant for what is called use-inspired research. So it's meant to take those basic research elements and put them into the context of a, a more of an applied setting. So they have more immediate impact on um, technology development across the U.S. NSF's new Directorate for Technology Innovation and Partnerships, or TIP, is focused on use-inspired research, specifically through a new program called NSF Engines. Yeah, the Engines program is an interesting program. It's, it's pulling together institutions of higher education, but into more consortium kind of operations where they're operating as teams uh, around a region and a concept because very much about the Chips and Science Act is the geographic location of the innovation that takes place to, to foster that innovation in places like Kentucky that may not have uh, that type of an innovation landscape. But because where we're geographically situated, uh, because we have things happening like uh, new Ford battery plants and others, that we can play a significant role um, along with other institutions around a theme. So engines are literally that. They're meant to drive that use-inspired research around a theme. We will be working with uh, industry and state partners uh, and uh, across regions uh, to advance manufacturing industry in the Commonwealth and beyond our borders. What we got was the Type 1 engine, which is a planning grant. So it provides you seed support to pull the team together, to come up with the structure for governing how the funds will be used, and to come up with what the funds will be used for and how they'll advance, in this case, uh, our manufacturing status across our region. So while there are other uh, states that will be part of our engine, uh, Kentucky and specifically UK in this case uh, will be taking the lead on this. We're really, really excited about this. So we were one of 44 uh, NSF engine development awards uh, in the country out of 700 applications. Uh, we were awarded one of the 44 development awards because of the strength of the coalition that we were able to put together between Kentucky and Tennessee, um, included support of um, R1 institutions in both states, uh, state government support, economic development organizations 
organizations from both states, uh, all focused around this mission of building a circular economy for advanced manufacturing. We call it next generation manufacturing for the, this region. Uh, manufacturing uh, is 20% of the country's energy consumption. It's a problem when you think about things like metals processing, which is incredibly high energy consumption process. Um, the, the, the waste to manage, the opportunities or need uh, to recycle and upcycle byproduct and materials um, and just the, the sustainability of the next generation of manufacturing is going to be critical to a place especially like the Commonwealth of Kentucky uh, and the state of Tennessee, our partner on this, um, uh, which are becoming uh, really central locations for the country's manufacturing bed. Uh, and so we're excited about this. We're working together with 53 total partners, uh, including over 25 different companies uh, from auto, from aerospace, from materials manufacturing. Um, and they're all working with us on this central mission to find um, the blueprint to create a circular economy around next generation manufacturing um, here in the region and then for the rest of the country. So. We're headed down this road at rapid pace. We have large, uh, what we call game change summits coming up. Our first one is in Dale Hollow uh, on August 24th. Um, and we'll have almost all of our partners uh, there to work with us for two days to find solutions, identify unmet needs, barriers for industry uh, to, to really create sustainable manufacturing practices. Uh, and then we hope to carry that through to a type two engine award uh, in the coming years. Lisa Cassis shares the decision-making process around naming material science the eighth research priority area at UK. Well, it wasn't chosen in a day. <laughs> it was chosen uh, over uh, uh, more than a year and a half of deliberation, uh, planning for what was evolving as the CHIPS Plus Science Act, watching how it was evolving as it did. And we were following it the whole way and trying to make sure that as we grew in STEM, uh, were we growing in a way that would align uh, with what would be coming out of this biggest investment in R&D in our country. So uh, what we did is we pulled together a group, a group of faculty, a group of people with expertise uh, that would contribute to a conversation around what are our collective strengths in R&D. And as we deliberated for over a year, we used the actual standard criteria that we apply to the Research Priority Area Program. And that included the existing strength in an area, the alignment with Kentucky and addressing issues of Kentucky, and could it bring in multiple disciplines across our campus and take advantage of the collaborative nature of our researchers? As we brought these people together in a room and talked, uh, it became apparent that there were many investigators across a variety of colleges whose research focused on materials and the science around materials whether that was in the College of Engineering, where it's most obvious uh, to see materials as an emphasis, the College of Arts and Sciences and our chemistry department, even in physics, the College of Food, Agriculture and Environment has a, a pretty big emphasis on materials in various different ways, and our healthcare colleges around materials that are used 
uh, in the day-to-day practice of healthcare. So uh, when uh, it just, it was like a light bulb uh, came on. These people all started talking. Uh, They came together around the theme. We took it through our criteria. We discussed it with our state partners. And that is how we moved it forward. And we're really excited about it uh, because uh, material science is one of the 10 areas uh, in the Chips and Science Act. And it's one that aligns heavily with a huge amount of um, materials manufacturing in Kentucky. You just look around at Kentucky's economy, whether it be auto, automotive, medicine, or aerospace. Uh, materials is essential uh, at not only the current state of those industries, but certainly the future. We are an institution of creative minds and creative ideas. Uh, so being able to prioritize uh, uh, materials that fits into each, each one of these industries um, would be um, advancing our mission as a research one institution. Um, particularly because we have so much expertise. So you think about ideas, but also patenting that, those ideas and then commercializing those ideas. So looking at the landscape and the horizon, um, as we mentioned, sort of the backdrop of the Chips and Science Act, uh, the University of Kentucky positioning itself uh, to create that RPA uh, definitely advances that mission of research and innovation. So it not only um, sort of empowers the researchers that we have here now, uh, but it does attract new a potential talent to look uh, at uh, providing innovative solutions to problems in those signature industries in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Um, I'll also mention that um, as far as critical materials, it is uh, cross application and multidisciplinary here at UK. So whether it's in the College of Medicine or the College of Engineering or the Center for Applied Energy Research, uh, many of our researchers and innovators uh, collaborate um, across uh, all disciplines. And so it definitely encourages collaboration uh, at the university. Material science is ripe for innovation. Um, and the University of Kentucky has uh, the strengths and capabilities to really make it um, not just a competitive advantage for us, um, but a, a area of real impact for the Commonwealth. Um, we've known that um, because of Kentucky's geographic proximity, uh, we are a um, a place to co-locate OEMs, an original equipment manufacturer, with materials manufacturing, um, to uh, to create access to supply of critical materials and component parts. And um, so Kentucky has for years been developing a um, a concentration of materials manufacturing. Uh, in the uh, the chemicals and the metals industries or sectors, most notably, um, these are industries that for years have um, uh, relied on production and distribution capabilities at scale to really compete. Um, but they've become really important innovation markets now, um, especially as we look at um, reliance on international supply chain and what something like a world pandemic can do to an international supply chain. And so the impetus to advance the technological approach, the innovation in a market like materials has become paramount, not just for Kentucky, but for the country, really. The industry concentration here around materials, especially chemicals and metals, um, an investment in 
innovation in those sectors can become return on investment for us in a number of ways. Um, to invest heavily in the um, the technological advancement capabilities of that of that sector can uh, help the state recruit additional manufacturers to the state. That's original equipment manufacturers that rely on these materials to create their finished products, uh, as well as the materials manufacturers themselves. They want to come to a place where they see um, the state, the uh, the ecosystem, but also the R1 research institutions investing in what they do. Uh, and so if we as a state, if we as a university invest in the advancement of materials manufacturing, materials production, uh, we have an opportunity to create real return on investment in jobs, in uh, workforce development opportunities for our students, um, for um, a new manufacturers coming to the state because of the investment in their supply chain. These are markets that are becoming more and more innovation-based, more and more innovation-dependent. Uh, and so as the state's flagship land-grant research institution, we have a role to play to help in that. In materials, we're talking about um, materials are the enabling technology, the enabling input to so many different sectors, right? If you think about things like uh, electric vehicles, right? The battery is the component of an electric vehicle that is the, the most critical aspect and the most critical part of that battery is the material. Um, as an example, um, you think about biotech, biomaterials is the key element, the key input to enable the growth of biotechnology. Um, uh, aerospace, auto, energy, all of these pr uh, priority industries, right, of the, of the country um, and priority um, production and export industries for the state uh, are reliant on materials, right? So um, as an enabling technology, um, it's uh, it's just critical to so many sectors, right? So uh, it's a field that's ripe for material scientists to get with uh, experts, subject matter experts, and scientists in other fields that apply these materials to work together. So you can see our College of Medicine working together with um, material scientists uh, in, in chemistry um, that are working on uh, new uh, biomaterials for medical devices, for example. Um, we have people from um, energy, from our CAER, Center for Applied Energy Research, uh, that can now work more closely with um, those in mining engineering to look at advancing uh, rare earth uh, critical mineral uh, extraction and recycling opportunities um, uh, for all kinds of, of applications. So it's, it's ripe for transdisciplinary research, um, and that's why we love it, to be honest, because I think it's going to bring multiple colleges together, uh, scientists from multiple areas, uh, to come together to find uh, enabling applications for, for many different sectors. John Balk leads the new Material Science Research Priority Area. He's a professor of materials engineering, associate dean for research and graduate studies in the Stanley and Karen Pigman College of Engineering, and director of the Electron Microscopy Center. He emphasized the breadth of what falls under the broad category of material science. It's a very broad and diverse discipline. It's actually a collection of disciplines. You can think of it like involving a lot of chemistry, physics, and then traditional engineering approaches to finding practical solutions. Um, it's really quite expansive. Some areas where material science may have an impact that aren't immediately obvious uh, include areas like biomedical engineering, where implants have to be biocompatible. 
They also have to match the properties of the structure around them. So you can't put a very dense material in place of a, of a bone that might, uh, might cause difficulties for the patient. Um, there are also areas like energy. So we think of carbon capture or decarbonization efforts. Those are, those are important and they require the development of new materials. And in fact, that's the power of material science and engineering. There are new applications that require solutions in the form of materials. Material science and engineering can deliver those, those solutions to, to enable advancement in other areas you wouldn't normally associate with materials. Kentucky industry is not only manufacturing heavy, but also materials dependent. Kentucky is the aluminum state. It has a, a, a rich and long tradition of aluminum production, and it still leads the country in aluminum production. So in addition to, to aluminum, steel is also very important here. We're a, a metals heavy state. There's been an immense amount of investment in the last few years in terms of metals production. So the importance of materials to automobile production uh, extends beyond the obvious areas like lightweight aluminum or, um, or polymers that go into the interior of a vehicle. Uh, the push towards electrification of transportation involves many more electric vehicles being produced, and we're right in the middle of that. So there are many battery and EV production sites throughout the state, and even in terms of the north-south axis that runs from Michigan down to Alabama, we're right in the middle of that. So Kentucky industry and Kentucky are really at the heart of these advanced materials for, uh, for new automobiles. This is a good time for UK to focus on the materials science RPA and the development of materials science uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, it's a great fit to the national funding landscape as well as areas of economic and national security importance. Um, materials is also, it's poised for growth at UK. I would say it's underutilized because we don't necessarily have enough cohesiveness in terms of bringing materials researchers together. There are many people doing materials research across campus, but they're not really connected in a way that, that leverages their potential. So the new materials RPA will bring those people together, provide this community for the research network, and that should lead to bigger and better things, new funding, bigger impacts for Kentucky. My top goals for the research priority area are to address that identity issue. I also want the RPA to bring together the broad swath of materials researchers that we have across UK and make sure that we're engaging everybody. And I also want it to grow the, the portfolio of materials research so that we hire new faculty, we bring new students in, and we make new connections to materials companies in the state. It's, it's surprising how small the financial barriers to starting a new project can be. And so having the materials RPA will allow us to get people over that activation barrier and get them working in new areas. So seed funding on the order of five, ten, twenty thousand dollars to get a project going is really about getting preliminary data, getting enough experience, building that case to go to a federal funding agency and secure a regular full-size grant that's going to support a multi-year project. In terms of my own research, seed funding has been very important. I have three primary research areas. Every one of them was started with a seed funding project 
that grew into multiple full federal grants. So an initial investment of tens of thousands of dollars led to at least a million dollars of funding in each of those three areas. So having the support and the attention from the vice president for research is impactful, certainly in the financial sense, because that seed funding does allow a researcher to test an idea, establish its importance, and build that case for full federal funding. But it also is important just in the sense of morale, because the faculty understand that the vice president for research wants them to be successful, is providing resources to help them be successful, and allowing them to then go forward and say, hey, I want to try out this idea. And if it has wheels, then we're going to take it further. So specific plans for materials RPA funding involve seed grants, other small funding mechanisms to help materials researchers get started with new ideas. But we also want to help with more significant investments, for example, hiring faculty members. Materials research is unfortunately not a cheap endeavor, so it's often expensive to hire materials researchers. The RPA can help with the startup requirements, the startup needs that new faculty members have, and, and help departments bring those people to the campus so that they're successful. We'll start off by inviting people to join our members group. In the fall semester, we'll have a research day that brings together materials researchers from across UK. We'll have invited presentations from researchers in key areas, and we'll also talk to the research group about what funding mechanisms are there, explain the goals that we have with each of those so that when they write their applications, they're successful applications that are on target for what we want to do to develop materials research at UK. The Research Priority Area program began in 2018 and has seen successful returns on investment, with compound annual growth rates in grants and contracts for research in these areas ranging from 1.5% to 14% from 2015 to 2022. We've had some tremendous growth in several of these areas once we declare them and organize them and resource them around a priority focus. And um, I think, you know, it, it just harnessed all that intellectual capital around a theme. And they've done an, a fantastic job of engaging the community of researchers in that theme to say, what, what would best support and facilitate your research in this area? And then they've created programs that have helped these researchers whether they be seed support, hiring new investigators, specialized equipment, community-engaged projects, whatever it may be, uh, they have uh, come up with it collectively. Uh, they have research days that are very vibrant and active. Uh, they've done things like contribute to the NIH Healing Community Study being awarded to UK, to our Cancer Center progress as it continues uh, to evolve and to the renewal of our Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, uh, which is part of the neuroscience research priority area. You know, our signature programs and yet new programs are coming out of these. So I think they're doing the job that they were intended to do. I'm sure they are. Another new funding opportunity born from the Chips and Science Act is the Economic Development Administration's Regional Technology and Innovation Hubs, or Tech Hubs, I mentioned that the Chips and Science Act uh, creates or authorizes several programs. 
Um, several of those programs are created within the NSF, as you mentioned, but also the Department of Commerce via the Economic Development Administration. All of these programs um, by statute are created to be in harmony with one another, um, all in the effort of responding to uh, international concerns about disruption of supply chains and specific technology areas. The Regional Tech Hub program um, was created to serve all six EDA regions. So the state of Kentucky or the Commonwealth of Kentucky is in the Southeast region, which is based out of the Atlanta office. We are the most uh, Northern state in the region. Um, so the bill calls for 20 tech hubs to be created across those six EDA regions. As I mentioned, this is not a program that's funded yet or appropriated fully. Uh, Congress did pass $500 million on emergency appropriations um, to execute the first phase of the Tech Hub program, but we're still waiting for other appropriations. But nevertheless, I think the most important part of the program is back to the ecosystem idea, is creating ecosystems where uh, GDPs and economies in states like Kentucky uh, could be uh, bolstered by R&D activity that are served by private sector interest, uh, the university interest, of course, um, that we focus very highly on ingenuity and innovation, um, we have a tech transfer office that will be a vital, uh, vital partner in a regional technology hub. These tech hubs are meant to transfer that research to an applied use, to, to put into place uh, consortiums uh, that would include higher education institutions like UK, but would include uh, the state cabinet, for example, economic development cabinet would include a lot of industry uh, across Kentucky, all working together around a common theme. And that common theme is to build science and technology jobs and companies in our region. I mean, how great would that be for Kentucky? Uh, we we have a lot of strengths, and I think we're we've been moving in in the state and competing for industry and others to come into our region. But having something like that here, with the infrastructure in place, is vitally important to anyone that's even considering coming into Kentucky. As part of our um, work around developing a regional technology hub uh, that would be focused on material science in Kentucky and led by Kentucky, uh, we have had probably more meetings with state partners and industry than I can remember in my nine years in serving as vice president for research. You know, we are talking firsthand on a regular basis now, uh, working towards the development of the application itself and how we would structure our consortia, which will include them. Whether we are awarded or not, uh, the, the process that we're going through to pull something like that together on behalf of the Commonwealth, and we are really doing it on behalf of the entire state, uh, because this would not be an award just to the University of Kentucky. It's, it's, it's meant really to advance the science and innovation and jobs in Kentucky in this area. Uh, so we, we have to work hand in hand with all of those partners. But it's teaching us a lot. It's teaching us about how we have to change our infrastructure to handle 
these types of uh, programs. Uh, they are not typical individual investigator awards. They require a deeper and more comprehensive infrastructure. Uh, and uh, that's good for us because that's where we want to be because those are the things that have the largest impact on the people of our region. The EDA uh, Regional Technology Hubs program is, uh, it really purports to be the largest investment in sort of innovation ecosystem uh, developments that we've seen in this country in years, in decades, uh, in fact. Um, the Chips and Science Act authorized a $10 billion program uh, to identify at least 20 new tech hubs across the country um, in, a, in an approach that they call democratizing the innovation landscape. Uh, and so that makes a place like Kentucky ultimately competitive. Um, we knew when we saw the language in the authorization uh, that we were going to be competitive for this. And so we've been working hard with partners across the state uh, and across the region to build a, an approach that will, um, that will truly create Kentucky as a future tech hub of the country. Uh, and so um, we have a working group internally that's been strategizing around this, uh, building our concept narrative that's going to be what we think really compelling. Uh, and ultimately, this is about national security. Um, this is about our country's global um, uh, participation in the innovation landscape um, uh, on a worldwide basis. Uh, it's about uh, securing supply chains and domestic manufacturing for the country. Uh, and we think Kentucky has a lot to offer here. Uh, so we're excited about the opportunity. Um, Frankly, we have uh, not seen a lot of opportunities of this size to our economy, to our university. None of this can happen in a silo or alone. And so we take partnership pretty seriously. Um, we know that we have to work together um, in alignment with the state's priorities, uh, with our Cabinet for Economic Development, who has been a close partner of ours in all of these programs. Um, with the University of Louisville, with uh, the, the other R1 research institution in the state, um, and then all of the um, community and technical colleges. The, K the KCTCS system is so important for workforce pipeline development. Kentucky Association of Manufacturers, for example, has been working with us um, around our Game Change Initiative and around our EDA Tech Hubs approach. Um, and so um, partnership is, um, is really important when you, when you have these programs like Tech Hubs and uh, NSF Engines that are requiring consortia, right, that are requiring a coalition be built around an aligned strategy for the region. Uh, and so, um, you know, we take a leadership role. Uh, as the flagship research institution of the state, um, we take that role seriously. Um, we have to uh, pull people together, be a convening um, body, uh, and uh, and then make sure that there's um, consensus and buy-in around uh, a direction for the region that makes sense. There's also a really important role for use-inspired research, uh, research that is informed by customers, by users of research results, uh, by the technologies that come out of the discoveries from research uh, in laboratories at a place like University of Kentucky. Um, so. Uh, we have to build tables um, that, that have seats for industry users, for federal agency sponsors, for state government economic development plan planners, uh, for um, venture capital 
and private sector um, partners that are going to be really important to building an economy uh, or an ecosystem around technological advancement. Uh, and so that's a role that UK Innovate is, is helping to play, is to make sure that we have partners and customers at the table that want to work with us in a use-inspired research capacity um, uh, to make sure that's, that certain research strategies are informed uh, by where markets are headed, what are the unmet needs of industry, uh, and what is doable uh, at a, in a scalable manner, for example, uh, for industry. So for our new UK Innovation Connect uh, program that we launched last year, it's a focal uh, point for them right now to build things like new industry consortia. Uh, an example is the Metals Innovation Initiative that we helped found last year with the state and the University of Louisville. Um, that's already been an enormous success uh, for us, for the state, working together on grant applications, working together on economic development projects and initiatives. One example is a metals innovation initiative, which was recently formed to represent Kentucky metals manufacturers. They have many needs, including some common needs, but they don't necessarily have access to a place that can work to help solve those needs. The materials RPA will hopefully lead to the establishment of a group of people that can, can work with MI2 and help solve those industry needs in Kentucky. The materials RPA can have a direct and significant impact on Kentucky's economy. First, at UK, we will grow the materials research portfolio that will employ more people. It will employ more Kentuckians as students and as staff members who are active not only in, in Lexington, but throughout the state. I foresee uh, strong connections with industry, so helping industry solve problems. That translates to workforce development, research and development in these, in these companies, and that, of course, carries economic impact with it as well. A key component to supporting advanced manufacturing is training UK students to enter this industry workforce. Who better to train a science and innovation workforce in Kentucky than the R1 institutions, including both UK and U of L and others. Of all other regional uh, campuses could all also contribute uh, to training the workforce. So uh, that's a big emphasis because actually that's one of the largest problems is having these companies in the state and not having an appropriately trained workforce to assume the positions in the different companies and make them successful. So one of the strengths of material science and engineering is that it's highly interdisciplinary. Students who study materials learn a variety of disciplines, chemistry, physics, engineering, as well as others. And so they're exposed to a very diverse set of scientific viewpoints. And this helps them tackle problems. They're very employable. When these grads arrive, they're able to make an impact and they're also able to, to work in areas that neither they nor the company had foreseen. Kentucky's workforce has to be important to UK. One of, uh, one of if not the most important product of our university is um, our graduates, and they need an economy to walk into that is uh, ready for them, but they need to be ready for that economy. Uh, and so when we talk about programs like NSF Engines, where we're trying to build a new innovation ecosystem uh, around technological advancement, or an EDA Tech Hub, where we are saying we are going to be a global hub, a global leader for a certain sector or technology field um, that has a lot to do with, with job creation in that field. Um, 
but job creation for next generation markets or sectors um, has a lot to do with upscaling current workforce and creating the next pipeline of talent that's going to fill those jobs. Um, so um, the economy won't work without job creation, but also job readiness, uh, and um, uh, but also industry to create those jobs. And we, we take that real seriously at UK Innovate, um, that when we talk about preparing our workforce, we're doing it with uh, information from our partners around what are their needs, where are they headed, uh, and how can we best prepare our student workforce that's, um, that's graduating uh, from UK um, uh, and are looking for those jobs. Uh, so it's incredibly important, uh, and it's something that we have to do um, with a lot of partners at the table, uh, and we can't do in a silo. Uh, we have to do it with information uh, around the needs uh, for certain markets. Thank you for listening to the Research Made Possible podcast. To subscribe to our podcasts on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, search University of Kentucky Research Media and click News on our site, research.uky.edu.